You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Well, I want to welcome you to Easter uh, at Grace Church. It's a privilege if you're with us. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're new to church. This is the perfect weekend to be visiting a church because literally around the world, millions of people are celebrating the essence of Christianity. If you distilled down what Christianity is all about, you'd find this at its core. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He paid for every sin you've ever committed and will commit. Jesus Christ died on the cross and he was buried in the tomb. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. He's alive. He is alive. He was seen over and over. That is the essence of Christianity. And I do want to welcome you here. If you are part of our Olathe campus, welcome. Happy Easter, guys. If you're in the venue right now or in the auditorium at Overland Park, or if you're online joining us, we're excited for you. Uh, I want to begin today with a question. Uh, a tradition, well, I'll give you a traditional greeting. Traditionally, the church through 2,000 years would greet each other with, He is risen. The response, He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Here's my question as we start today. Uh, when you hear the name Jesus... What word do you think of? In your mind, what, what word do you think of when you hear the name Jesus? Maybe you think of forgiveness or love or mercy or grace. Like all those are true about Jesus. Maybe you think Savior, healer, teacher, moral person. When the Apostle Paul was traveling around the Roman Empire, spreading the good news about Jesus, the story, the essence, which is called the gospel good news, um, the Romans had another word for Jesus. And their word, when they heard the story, was, well, foolish. That sounds like foolishness. Paul Rock records that, by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, down in verse uh, 23. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, the Messiah crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, so Paul used that for the civilized people that were non-Jewish in the Roman Empire. The Greeks, the story of Jesus sounded like foolishness. And you can imagine how foolish it sounds. I've had friends, I've told that story too. They thought it was just as foolish today. So the Romans served many, many gods. And we all invoke the name of Roman gods every day of our life. Did you know that? Every day you talk about Roman gods, when you use the seven days a week, when you talk about the planets, when you talk about eight of our, eight of our 12 months, you are naming Roman gods. So when the Romans heard this story that there's one God, the God-man, God came in human form in Jesus Christ, and he as king of the universe worked a real job as a carpenter. And he lived in anonymity. And then Jesus Christ left the family business. God in human form traveled around in poverty, not knowing where he'd stay the next day. And he healed people. And he taught people. And he lived the perfect life. And then he gave himself up 
willingly to be arrested and beaten up and murdered for our sins. To the Roman mind, that sounded like foolishness. So I'm going to invite you back next week. We're going to unpack that word further. We're having a brand new series called Foolishness. It starts next week. We're actually going through a series, Foolish. We're going through the fact that if you're a person of faith, there's no way to avoid at some point, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ by faith, someone at some point is going to think you're foolish. That's the risk. And so we're going to talk about what the life of faith looks like. We're going to go through Hebrews chapter 11, a series of character studies on what faith looks like in your school, in your work, in your neighborhood. That's next week. Please come back as we unpack this word, this, this thought of life of faith. But this week we're talking about the cross. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Matthew 27, uh, where Matthew records three different groups of people, three groups of people that had gathered around the cross, and they were there to watch Jesus die. Each of these groups believed something about Jesus that they thought was foolish. But these are the three truths about God that change our lives the day we believe. And here's the thing. Here's our hopes and our prayer for you. There are certain people, maybe you're online or in Olathe or at Overland Park. This is the most important moment of your life. This is it. Your whole life has led up to this moment. See, God loves you completely. He knows everything about you. He created you in his own image. He knows every sin you've ever committed plus ones you will commit in the future. And he died on a cross to pay for your sins. Your whole life has led to this moment when you would believe the truth about him. We're praying for that to happen today. That when, you, when you do that, by the way, there's power unleashed in your life. God unleashes the power of his Holy Spirit to change you. People who don't have love experience love. People who don't have joy experience joy. People who don't have acceptance experience acceptance. People who cannot forgive others or themselves find the way to do that. That's the power of the gospel. And if you've received Christ before or uh, maybe today you'd do it, we have baptisms in all of our locations, spontaneous baptisms. So in Jesus' day, every baptism was spontaneous. Everyone. You got up. You had your clothes on, you went about your day, you heard this preacher, and they would call you to come from, from the shore into the water, be baptized with your clothes, spontaneously. Every baptism in Jesus' day was a spontaneous baptism. Jesus calls us to do that, Matthew 28. We have today in all locations, we have clean water, they didn't have. We have a change of clothes, the apostles did not have. We have towels, they did not have. We also have no more excuses. No more excuses. You see, some of us, you say, well, I was baptized as a kid. My parents did that. Me too. I get it. Me too. Fantastic decision of my parents. That was their decision. Close the loop. Their hopes are that you would follow Jesus. Matthew 28 says, at some point, when you're a disciple, you are willingly baptized. It's time at the end of our service and all of our locations for you to step out Come up, we got clothes, we got towels, we got water, we have no more excuses to show the world you're a follower of Jesus. It's time. So let's go ahead and pray. God, I pray that you would move in people's hearts, both to receive Jesus as Savior, to believe these truths about you that the three groups gathered around the cross did not believe, 
And may you help those who need to be baptized to show the world their faith, to be a follower of you. That's part of it, Matthew 28. They would do that today in all our locations, be spontaneously baptized, just like happened in the first century with the apostles. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go back to Matthew 28. We're going to see these three groups of people gathered at the cross. This first group was, number one, the authorities. The authorities had gathered at the cross. Now, the reason the Roman authorities were there was that they were the only people with a legal right to execute capital punishment. The Jews had laws which caused capital punishment, but it was outlawed for the Jews to actually implement capital punishment. Only the Roman authorities could do that. And so let me tell you the story. The night before Jesus was murdered, one of his best friends in the world was a man named Judas. Um, one of his best friends turned his back on him, betrayed him. He brought this mob to where Jesus was known to go pray, a place where the olive press was, but Jesus didn't change it. He was willing to go. He was arrested, went through three religious trials, three Jewish trials, guilty, guilty, guilty. They turned him over to the Romans for his three secular trials. They found him innocent, innocent, innocent. There's no reason but to placate the crowds, to keep civil you know, unrest at a minimum. They turned him over to be beaten and murdered. So they turned him over to the soldiers. They beat him. They mocked him. Surrounded by soldiers, they whipped him within an inch of his life flayed his back open. Then they played dress-up with Jesus, dressed him up like a fake king. They stripped him naked, his broken body stripped and naked in the middle of soldiers. Then they put a purple robe on him. Why purple? Well, purple in the ancient world was a very rare dye. It was also the, became the color of the emperors, of the kings. Only the king, only the emperor wore purple, unless you're playing dress up with Jesus and making fun of him being a king. They clothed his bruised and bloody body with a, with a purple robe. They wove together a crown he deserved, the crown of thorns, plunged it onto his head. They gave him a fake scepter, a little reed that the royals would use, and they gave him the Roman salute, hail, king of the Jews, bow the knee, hail, hail. It's, it's play dress up with Jesus time. Make fun of him. Matthew chapter 27 describes this moment. Matthew 27 says that in verse, in verse 29, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. See, that's the truth they, they didn't believe. They thought it was foolishness. In fact, later on, later on when they crucified, now when you crucified in Jesus' day, it wasn't like the pictures. It wasn't lifted up on a hill far away. That's poetic and beautiful and wrong. So what they would do in Jesus' day is put you on a road, flat on the road, a lot of traffic going by. They would bend you down. They would twist your body, bend you down and crucify you like this at ground level. That's the way you really were crucified. And they put a... They put a sign over his head with the crime he'd committed that was being called king of the Jews. It says later on, down in verse 37, they put up over his head the accusation written against him, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. 
See, what the Roman authorities thought was incredibly foolish was that he would call himself king. I'm telling you, this is the first truth God wants you to believe today. Jesus is king. He is the God-man. He is God in human form, co-equal with God. He's not just king of the Jews. Yes, he came as the Jew, king of the Jews. He's also king of kings. Revelation describes him as the king who's over every president, over every king, over every emperor. And he came in the first century as a humble king. He's coming back again. He's going to take over. He is king of kings. Are you ready to believe that he is king? They thought it was foolish. So the Roman authorities were trying to intimidate another group that had gathered at the cross uh, so the reason I did crucifixion, uh, the Romans actually stole that idea. They stole it from the Persians, who we would know today as the Iranians. The Iranians, the Persians had invented crucifixion. Um, and so the Romans, for their Roman citizens, they were kind to their Roman citizens. They had you beheaded. It was quick. It was over. But if you were not a Roman citizen and condemned to die, they stole that Persian crucifixion. Why? They wanted to draw that thing out. It took several days to die of crucifixion. They place you on a highly trafficked road where the number two, the second group was there, the public. Number two was the public. See, they wanted people on a highly trafficked road to walk by. So you got up that day, it's time to run to the market. You pass by these, these crosses. You were headed to work, you pass by these crosses. You were bartering, negotiating, pass by these crosses. Hey, who are those guys? Who are those three guys? Well, two of them, they're thieves. But that guy in the middle, that guy's crazy. You know the Jewish temple? Yeah, the one rebuilt over 46 years. It's one of the wonders of the world. Yeah, that guy, that guy stood at the Jewish temple and claimed this. If you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. Well, that guy's nuts. And you would pause and hurl insults and throw things and spit and mock me. Sit there for a while. Go about your day. The public was there. The Roman authorities were trying to intimidate the public. Do not cross us. We're in charge. You see the public, by the way. You find them in verse 39 and 40. And those who passed by a highly trafficked road blasphemed him. To blaspheme is to speak evil of something sacred. They were speaking evil of Jesus, the most sacred one. Wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. See, the crowd didn't believe this. The public thought he was nuts. And yet, this is the truth that God himself knows is true about him. God wants you today to believe this. They destroyed his temple. They killed him. They killed his body. But three days later, he was alive. Guys, that's the truth. And God wants you to believe that truth today. There's a third group of people. They were there. These guys were not only watching the authorities because they're fearful for their power, but also watching the public, the source of their power. And that's number three, the religious. The religious were there. These are the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious lawyers, experts in Moses' law. And it's hard to describe these guys today to us. You've got to picture people who are the most prominent of society, wealthy, powerful, respected, combined with the sliminess 
of the slimiest, crooked TV preacher. You got to kind of put that together, okay? Now, I'm not saying every TV preacher is crooked. Obviously, not. they're great TV preachers, but there are some slime balls out there. Let's be honest. Welcome to first century slimehood. Religious crooks. You want to see a message you cannot believe Jesus actually preached? I can't imagine me actually saying these words. Read Matthew 23 sometime. You'll find out why these guys hated Jesus' guts. Hated him. Matthew 23, Jesus utters these words. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, snakes, vipers, graves filled with dead men's bones. And that was when Jesus was being nice. He didn't get to the bad stuff yet. That is the scribes and Pharisees who hated his guts. No wonder that they were there to watch their enemy suffer, twist the knife. Finally, this guy gets what he deserves. You see that, by the way, the religious show up down in Matthew 27, 41. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders. Yeah, they're, they're there making fun of him. They're in the back going, ha, son of God. Yeah, we know his dream is over. He's a fraud. He's a fake. Like, they're making fun of the guy, Jesus, the God, but as he's dying. Verse 43, here's some of the things they believed. He trusted in God. His faith, ugh, his faith was foolish. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. This drove them crazy. Every time Jesus implied or said that he was co-equal with God, that he was God in human form, they would reach onto the ground with the plentiful stones, pick up rocks, and attempt to stone him to death on the spot for blasphemy, for speaking evil of the truth. But yet Jesus is the Son of God. This is the very truth God wants you to believe. He wants you to believe this truth, that he is the God-man. He's co-equal with God. He's the person of God we can actually see. There is one being, one eternal God, and three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the part, the Son of God. This is the person we can actually see. This is the truth God wants you to believe today. Now, what happens next? Okay, let's go through that day. So he pulled literally the all-nighter from hell. Spent the whole day preparing for the Passover feast as a good Jewish uh, citizen and rabbi. And so he taught, he actually instituted the Lord's Supper that night, went out to pray. The mob arrested him. Three trials plus three trials. At 9 a.m., they crucified him, hammered the stakes into his hands and feet. It's a sunny day, the Bible says at that point. And for about three hours, it's sunny. The Bible records seven statements that he makes on the cross. At noon, halfway through, when the sun is at its highest point, God blots out the sun in that area. It's dark. For three hours, supernaturally, eerily, strangely dark. As God, for those horrible three hours, put every sin you have ever committed on Jesus. Every sin you've not even committed yet, put on Jesus. Every sin I've ever committed will commit. Every person in history put our sins on Jesus. Every time you ever lied, and you know you have lied big time. 
You have lies, some people, that you carry on to this day on Jesus. Deceptions you let keep going on Jesus. Every time you didn't believe God, I don't believe that, sin on Jesus. Every time you would not forgive somebody, I'm not forgiving them on Jesus. Every time you wouldn't forgive yourself on Jesus. Every time you lived in fear, not fear of God, but just fear of life, fear for yourself on Jesus. Every time you wouldn't accept somebody or love somebody on Jesus. And God poured his wrath against sin on his own son. And Jesus took it and took it and took it and paid and paid. And he cries out the statement that people cry out in hell when in horror they feel like God has abandoned them. That's what Jesus said. He's suffering hell for us for all of eternity. He pays it in three hours. It says this in Matthew chapter 27. He calls out, verse 46, around 3 p.m. says, and about the ninth hour, ninth hour of sun that day, 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's what people call out in hell. And Jesus is calling out because he's paying the punishment of sins. Every sin you've ever committed, you thought was hidden, that's enslaved you. You'd be terrified people to know this about you. He loves you so much. He created you. He knows everything about you. He's worked your whole life for this moment and you, when you believe it. At verse, in verse 50, shortly after that, he dies. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And every person who loved Jesus doubted him. Not one disciple believed in the resurrection. For three horrible days, they thought, this is over. They thought it was stupid for actually going to Jerusalem. How is idiotic? How could you go there? And then, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He appears 10 times over 40 days. The scripture records visit after visit. They're kind of grouped into five sets of two. As he proves over and over that I am alive. I am the greatest truth in the history of the world. This is true. You see, the Jewish system, the Jewish, under Jewish law, if you were a woman and you went to court, you could bring 100 women to Jewish court. Not one woman's voice was admissible as a witness in court. God didn't care about their system. He overturned the cart. So who did he appear to? Well, not once, but twice he shows up to women first, overturning their system. Shows up to Mary Magdalene in the garden. No one believes her. Shows up to a group of women in the garden. Number two, no one believes them. Then he shows up to Peter alone, and then two disciples on the road to Emmaus alone. No one believes them. The disciples don't believe him until they're gathered in fear in the upper room where the Passover was. Thomas was not there, doubting Thomas. Bam, he's in the room, freaks them out. They go touch him, talk to him. You're alive. Oh, we're so foolish. Thomas like, I don't believe it. Not until I put my hands in his side. He's there. Bam, he's in the middle, freaks him out. He reaches over, takes his hand and thrusts it into his side where the spear went, felt around, touched his hands, the holes of his hands and feet. My Lord and my God, doubting Thomas, was no longer doubting. Up in the north, 
up in the north, seven apostles on the Sea of Galilee, on a fishing trip, shows up to them. Then on the mountain above them, over 500 witnesses, to which Paul writes, if you travel to the Galilee in the north of the Holy Land, most of those 500 witnesses are still alive. Men, women, children, saw him, heard him, touched him. They can tell you, he is alive, he is alive. Then he appears to his half-brother James, the second born in the family who thought Jesus was cuckoo, thought he was nuts. James now believes. Then he shows up on the Mount of Olives, the final time, time number 10, on the Mount of Olives, before he sends his apostles. They say, he is alive, he is alive, he is alive. Here's the amazing thing about this message. The foolish message of the cross. This message seems so foolish. It is the power of God. God's got a sense of humor. I enjoy it. I like to laugh. I was talking to my wife just last night about this. We've always had, over 21 years of this church, always had somebody from my high school in our church family. And before someone left, he brings somebody else. Why? There's always somebody back in my high school days can attest to what an idiot I was in high school. And how I'm totally different now. Always had somebody there to say, yeah, that's not the Tim we knew. Guys, I'm a different person. Because I believe this foolish message. In fact, Paul talks about that back to 1 Corinthians 1 where we left off. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says this. That same chapter where he says, I went to the Romans. They thought this was foolishness. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. A couple verses later, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, their wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God. Wouldn't it be great for you to please God today? It would be awesome. Walk out on Easter. I please God today. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message. Foolishness of the message preached. To save those who believe. It is time. This is the most important moment of your life. For those of you online, those of you at Olathe, at Overland Park, I am dying on the inside for you to sense how much God loves you. Because some of you don't believe it. You hear voices in your head. You are unlovable. You are unworthy. You are too scarred. No one loves you. No one cares for you. You cannot be forgiven. And those are lies. They're lies. Jesus paid for everything. And when you believe it, it changes everything. I beg God you'd believe it. This is the most important day of your life. If you're not giving your life to Christ, please. Please believe and talk to Jesus. Tell him you know you're a sinner and you surrender control to him. You put your faith in his death and resurrection. Please. God will unleash his power in your life. And if you've done it and you've not been baptized, maybe you're like me, you got baptized as a kid. That's your parents' decision, not your decision. It's time. It is time for you to do Matthew 28. It's your decision. It's time for you to spontaneously in all the locations make your way to where somebody is there 
give you a change of clothes, a towel, and you to tell the world, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's time. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for people who have heard the, uh, the lying whispers in their minds. They're not worthy. They're not lovable. You've died for them. You love them. The God's not there. You are there. Help people to receive you as Savior and be baptized today, Lord, please. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.